today. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28. And, you know, my wife and I, we've, we've gone for little walks and we were passing by in the neighborhood. And, and one man we hailed and waved at him and he mentioned that he enjoyed this kind of being in home for church, his services at his church, and uh, he could be in his pajamas. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a funny thing. But I want you to know this morning that your pastor is not in his pajamas, amen. And I'm glad you would not want to, look, look, I want you to see that I got my full outfit on here and I'm not in my pajamas. Now, I know some other men that are in their pajamas this morning, maybe watching on, but no, I can't do that. I know uh, some of the young men, they wear a tie and a coat and they got pajamas or sweatpants on because they can't be seen in their videos, but I'm in my full gear to preach today, amen. And uh, I'm not gonna take my tie off. I'm not gonna uh, preach in a t-shirt. Uh, no, I'm going to preach in what I normally would preach in to honor the Lord. But I, I want to preach a message on, on this this morning. The resurrection, what's the big deal? That's my thought. What's the big deal? And you might think that's an odd title for a Easter Resurrection Sunday message, but I'll explain myself in just a minute. But let's go to Matthew chapter 28 in the Word of God, and uh, we'll read the first eight verses together. Matthew 28, verse 1. And the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen uh, from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him. Lo, I have told you. In verse 8, And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring the disciples' word. Let's pray. Father, help me as I deliver the message today to this local church flock, but also our friends and perhaps even some strangers that are looking on today, uh, some folks that may know you as Savior, some people that may be away from you, Lord. I pray you draw them close to you at this time. And Lord, could be a few folks that have not yet believed on your son Jesus as their Savior. Dear Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do. Take the preaching of the word, the reading of the scriptures, and convict hearts and convince them that today's the day to know Jesus by faith as their Savior. Lord, do what I cannot do. Draw and convict and convince, and Lord, bring conversion into the hearts of people that know not Jesus, your Son. Father, we love you. We thank you for sending your, your son to us. Jesus, thank you for dying for us on the cross of Calvary. And dear Holy Spirit, thank you for drawing men unto the Son. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I mentioned my message today, the resurrection, what's the big deal? I said that because of this. I've been saved now for over 45 years. I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the fact of how many people do not understand the resurrection today. We live, I guess, I, I kind of assume that people understand Easter and the resurrection story. But, you know, our country was founded upon Judeo-Christian beliefs and values. And 
the resurrection account of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead. I kind of believe it's known and understood, but we live in a very eclectic world, different worldviews by different people that live here in this country. And the reality is, in our current world, we live in a day that's deleted Jesus and the Bible and the gospel right out of their inbox. That's the thinking of today. I'm thinking of Resurrection Sunday, and I want to try to reboot the story, if you would, of the gospel message of Jesus Christ coming uh, to this world, living a sinless life, dying on the cross of Calvary at the age of 33, being buried and then rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I want to give some basic information and instruction concerning Christ and his scriptural, historical, literal, bodily resurrection from the dead. Now let me mention again, this may seem very basic to some that are listening today, very rudimentary to the believer today. But again, we have to understand that there are many people that do not understand Easter like we assume they do. To them, this story of Christ rising from the dead is unbelievable and sadly foreign to so many in our society today. Again, our current society is now so eclectic and vast in culture and creed that the common salvation of Jesus Christ has been diminished in our land. And so I wanted to make sure that it was very clear today to everyone to understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The text that I read from this morning is out of Matthew's gospel, the record of Jesus, physical, bodily resurrection from the dead. Again, after three days of being in the tomb, a borrowed tomb by a man named Joseph of Arimathea. I want to take a fresh look at the evidence we can find in the Holy Bible to educate, and in some cases re-educate, those that may be a little ignorant of the, of the Easter story today. Many people are un, unenlightened by the Holy Spirit of God about the factual resurrection of Jesus Christ. In our Bible, all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, speak of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll be looking at these verses today. Some I'll be reading, some I'll be referring to for time's sake. But today I want to see that our world today does not understand Easter or the resurrection as much as we assume they do. Or maybe in the past they did one time in this Western culture of ours. So here's my message today. The resurrection. What's the big deal? Well, here it goes. My friends, I'll tell you the big deal. Number one, the physical and literal importance of Christ's resurrection. In the sacred scriptures is a clear record and vindication of many of the important truths and tenets of the Christian faith. Of the Christ faith. Again, it's recorded in scripture. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to say these things quickly. Number one, it gives ample proof that Jesus truly was the Son of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, let me read. In verse 17 and 18, John's Gospel, chapter 10, it says these words. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Have power to lay it down, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. So Jesus Christ was and is the Son of God. Then the scriptures attest in Acts chapter 2, for time we won't go there, but in verses 30 through 31 it says that 
the scriptural, has scriptural truth of a bodily, literal resurrection. Read it for yourself. And then we, we find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes to the church in times of sorrow, verses 14 through the following of the chapter, uh, we see that they uh, were assured that believers will have their own resurrection someday. When I pass away, which I might, which I might not, the rapture could come, the catching away, and I might go in the rapture. I hope for that. But if I should die in this life, I will raise again because Christ also rose. And in number four, we have the proof of a future judgment to all unbelievers. There is coming a day when Jesus will come for the saints, but there's also coming a day for judgment to those that know not Jesus as their Savior. My friend, if you're not saved, please listen this morning to the message and to the scriptures. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31, we read these words. It says, at the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he hath raised him from the dead. One day, listen, all will stand before Jesus Christ. Now the saints will stand before him in judgment for the works that they did or they didn't do in service for the Lord. Not sin, we're, we're covered by the blood, but we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ for our service. But then there's a group that know not Jesus, and they will stand, the Bible says, at the white throne judgment of Jesus Christ. And that's those that have never believed on Christ. And they'll hear words like this, depart from me that work iniquity. And he'll say to them, I never knew you. What a sad day that'll be that people that could have been saved, could have believed on Christ, could have put away their formalism, their denominational tag. They could have put away their philosophies and their arguments and their debate. They could have believed on Christ, but they chose not to. There'll be a day you'll stand before him, Jesus, and you'll give an account to him. Friend, don't stand before Jesus without him as your savior. Please don't do that. It gives proof our text in Acts chapter 17 of a future judgment to the unbelieving world. And then the resurrection of Jesus, we want to say this morning, is the central truth, the central truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Paul's gospel chapter 15, Paul's very clear on this. In the first uh, uh, four verses, he says this. Listen, moreover, brethren, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, I declare unto you the gospel which I uh, preach unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Here it is, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Not, not opinion, not, not somebody's philosophy. Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he arose again the third day, according to the scriptures. What I say to you this morning by the authority of God is through the Holy Spirit and through the scriptures. First of all, we've seen the physical, literal importance of Jesus' re uh, resurrection recorded in the Bible. Second of all, I wanted to notice the proofs of Christ's resurrection are many in number. They're numerous. Uh, the world abounds, folks, listen, with historical accepted record and facts 
of a literal resurrection of a man named Jesus. Even the world documented this. There's a lot of historical truth that documents a man named Jesus dying and raising again on the third day. The enemies of the gospel did their best to stamp out the words of Jesus and the influence of Jesus upon his world in his time. And I, I want to say, sadly, today, our world still very much rejects Jesus, even hates Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples before he was crucified, they've hated me and they're going to hate you. I mean, I used to not believe this, but I have ran into people in my days that literally get angry, fiercely angry in the mention of Jesus' name and cuss you out and, and, and blaspheme God's name if you have any belief in, a, in Jesus Christ, in God, the Bible, going to church. That is so sad. Jesus was right. They hated him and they'll hate you for your belief in Jesus Christ. Then there's the record of the Roman government, how, hate, how hateful they were to Jesus. Uh, they did not want him to preach to the people. They did not want him teaching the people. They did their best to silence him and the many witnesses that followed him after his resurrection. And here's how they did it. First of all, the enemies of Christ, after he was taken down from the cross and put in the empty tomb, they closed the tomb up with a stone. They sealed it by a Roman seal so no one could break that seal and take him. The Bible says they set a watch and a seal on that sepulcher of Jesus. And why did they do that? To ensure that no one could get in and he couldn't get out. And you can read that in Matthew chapter 27, verses 62 through 66. But also politically, Pilate, uh, he had a lot of pressure on him during the Passover time. He was trying to please the Romans and trying to please the Jews at the same time. There was an insurrection. The Jewish hierarchy, they, they feared the possibility of a resurrected Christ. They had heard the news. Matter of fact, in verse 62 of Matthew 27, it says this. They said, we remember that the deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. You know, by the way, I just want to mention, Jesus himself said three days and three nights in in the whale's belly or in the fish's belly and other scripture or in the heart of the earth and other scripture. Jesus taught three days and three nights before there was a resurrection, but I don't have time for that. But anyway, they said, he said that he would rise again from the grave. Listen, scripture gives us the testimony of many eyewitnesses. You know, in, in a trial of any kind, eyewitnesses are important. They have DNA today. That's surely, that's surely a great thing for, for the justice uh, to have in making judgments on whether someone's a criminal or not, whether they go to prison or not, whether they're guilty or not. But eyewitnesses are still important. There were many eyewitnesses of the, the brutal beating of our Lord, of the bloody crucifixion that he endured, of the hasty burial of Jesus. But praise God, there's also evidence that there was a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus too. We read those verses in Matthew 28, verses 1 through 8 this morning. Now listen, key witness here is an eyewitness reporting of the empty tomb, the proof that Jesus resurrected. That's something huge, folks. That's a big deal. You cannot discount eyewitness very easily. 
and the personal testimony of several people that saw the Lord after his crucifixion, after he was placed in a tomb. Now, I want you to notice that the risen Lord Jesus Christ was seen of many people. And for time's sake, we can't go to all the scripture, but we'll mention what scripture says. He was seen of Mary Magdalene as she later herself saw and spoke to the Lord in the garden after his resurrection. Mary, the mother of James, Joanna, Salome, Mary, the mother of Jesus, saw her son resurrected. These same women saw also, according to Mark's gospel, chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, they saw angels of the Lord at the tomb of Christ. Then the risen Lord Jesus appeared to two, uh, two disciples on, as they walked back to their homes on the road to Emmaus in Mark chapter 16 and in Luke chapter 24. Then the Lord appeared unto the eleven disciples in an upper room in Matthew chapter, in Mark chapter 16, verse 14. Later, Thomas the doubter, remember him? He said he wouldn't believe unless he saw uh, the nail prints of Christ and, and saw the, the, the spear in, in his side, the wound of his spear. But in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31, Thomas was present, not the first time, but the second time, and he saw the Lord, and he saw those nailed scarred hands, and he believed. He believed because he saw the risen Lord. Peter and John saw the resurrected Lord after the women came to the tomb. Turn to John chapter 20 in your Bible. I'm trying to pass up for time's sake this morning. John chapter 20. And uh, I want you to notice in uh, verses 20 through 24. I'm sorry, John chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter saith unto him, I go fishing. They said unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, the scripture says. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Listen now. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He saith unto them, Cast the net on the right side, and the ship, ye shall, and, the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw in the multitude of fishes. You see, the Lord was seen by these men, these common fishermen, they saw the Lord. A miracle took place. And then later on, they saw the Lord on the shore with a fire and a, a meal already prepared for them. You see, the Lord wanted them to see him in his resurrected body, his literal, factual, historical, resurrected body. And then the Bible talks about these two, Peter and John, how they saw the resurrected Lord after the women saw him. In, in John's gospel, chapter 4, verse 10, John chapter, uh, it, it says they saw the empty tomb. They went in and looked, and it was an empty tomb. They saw the linen cloths by themselves, the wrappings of Christ by themselves that they used to bury him in. And this is interesting. They saw the napkin that covered his face, and it was placed in a place by itself. Later on, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John, in this text that we read, they saw him while they went fishing. And they saw the Lord on that, sea, on that, on that shore 
waiting to welcome them. He had prepared a meal for them. Peter spoke with the Lord, and he had to prove his love and devotion for the Lord, because the Lord said unto him, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? And to Peter, he got upset because the Lord asked this three times of him. But the Lord was trying to get Peter to understand, I am the Lord. I am the resurrected Lord. And now go and serve me, Peter. Then Jesus was seen to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. It says this, by many infallible proofs. So many proofs, they could not be refuted. They could not be denied. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, you can read it. It says this, for if the dead raise not, then is Christ not raised. The scripture tells us that Jesus was seen at one time after his resurrection by over 500 people. That's undeniable. 500 different people saw the Lord. Eyewitnesses of a resurrected Christ. Then the disciples again at Christ's glorious ascension, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 through 12. They're standing there and the Lord descends up into heaven. They see him go to sit at the right hand of the Father and as they're looking up, the angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus, which ye saw and gone up, will come in like manner as you've seen him leave. Listen, they saw him with their own eyes. The Bible says they handled him, the risen Christ. And most importantly, we have the own words of Jesus Christ. Jesus' words are essential. He said, I will die, but I'll rise again. And he told his disciples that on several occasions. So we've had the physical, literal evidence. We've had the proofs of resurrection seen by many individuals. Thirdly, as I just mentioned, the words of Jesus, the promise of Jesus Christ himself regarding his own bodily resurrection. Listen to Matthew 16, 21. The Bible says, From this time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, but raise again the third day. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 and 23, it says, And why they beheld, why they abode, excuse me, in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and on the third day he shall rise again. Now listen to one more verse, Mark chapter 8, verse 31. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus. And the Bible says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the high priests and of the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Now, folks, the life of Jesus Christ in his life is showed he never lied. He was a man of truth. Many of his enemies tried to find falsehood in him. They tried to find fault in him, and they couldn't find it. The, the, the scribes, they accused Jesus of healing on the Sabbath in Luke chapter 6 and verse 7. That, that bothered them. The Bible says, and the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might find an accusation against him. You imagine Jesus healing people and somebody upset because they got healed on the Sabbath. The Pharisees also questioned why Jesus ate with sinners. Oh, they were so spiritual. They didn't want to be around common men. They didn't want to be around sinners. But Jesus was loved of sinners. Jesus cared about us. The Bible says in Matthew 9 and verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, 
they said unto themselves, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? He was asking the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ, Why does your Lord, why does your master, why does your Messiah eat with these sinners? The elders of Israel questioned Jesus and had contempt that Jesus had contempt for their traditions. In Mark chapter 7, in verse 5, the Bible said, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? They were worried. Boy, this is the time of ever to point this out. Everybody got to wash your hands all the time, and I get that. But back then, they were upset because they were eating with unwashed hands, not to be free from germs and viruses. It was a tradition. They had certain things that the religious hierarchy did to show how pious they were and how spiritual they were. And they were questioning Jesus' disciples because they didn't wash their hands. And even Pilate, after he personally met the Lord Jesus, interviewed him, interrogated him, if you would, he declared these words. He said, I find no fault in him. He said, this man's innocent. Years ago, back in the 70s, I'm pretty old, back in the 70s, there was a, a man named Josh McDowell. He was a, a lawyer. He was, a, he was an atheist by confession. He wrote a book called Evidence Demands a Verdict. Very good book. Pick it up. I think it might be out of print, but you can find it if you Google it, I'm sure. Out of that book was another bestseller called uh, More Than Just a Carpenter. And there's one line in there I'll never forget. He mentioned, he said, after reviewing himself as an unbeliever at the time, the historical and archaeological and religious evidence about this man, Jesus, he came to the conclusion that, here it is, either Jesus was a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. He said, I believe him to be very God and the resurrected Lord. After this man who did not believe in Jesus, I mean, uh, he went and searched historical documents. He did the scriptures. He searched anything he could. A lawyer, very, very questionable. He, after reviewing the evidence, became a believer in Jesus Christ. Please, friend, I encourage you, I challenge you, search the scriptures. There might be somebody listening to me today, and I don't know what your religious affiliation is. I don't know how you were raised. I don't know if you believe anything. I encourage you, search the scriptures. They'll tell you of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Read it for yourself and see the evidence of a risen Savior. And then, number four, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the rest of the Lord's enemies gave additional validity that he rose as he said he would. You say, preacher, how is that? Well, let me explain something. First of all, they tried to explain away the news of Christ's resurrection. They did everything they could to squelch the reports that Jesus had risen like he said he had risen. They were so afraid that they wanted to try to hurt his reputation, his testimony, if you would. They considered him to be a fraud. And they said this, because there was so much news coming out after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they had to give an answer. And here's what they said. They said, first of all, Jesus' body was stolen away. He didn't rise. His body was stolen. They said that his disciples went to the tomb. And stole him away and then say to everyone else, our Lord has risen. In John chapter 12 and verse 19, the Bible says, The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Look, 
The whole world has gone after him. They didn't like the crowds he was gathering before he died. And they certainly didn't want the crowds gathering after his death and after his resurrection. So they did everything they could to put down that news of a resurrected Lord. You know, the gospel means good news. It is good news that Jesus Christ died. Good news that he was buried. Good news that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. To stop the preaching of the followers of Jesus Christ, they said that his enemies, not just his disciples, but now the enemies, they went in and took his dead corpse away because they didn't want Christians now to start a rumor that the Christ had rose. So he said, they said, oh, the Christians are going to take him away and said he has risen. Nobody can find him. Then his enemies would go in and steal him. And then the church would say, oh, see, there's, a, there's an empty tomb. He arose. But I want to know if that's the case. Why didn't they just present a dead corpse and throw it in the street of Christ? Why didn't they bring the evidence that he was dead and here's his body? They couldn't because they, they, he had rose from the grave. And then why would there be so many eyewitnesses that Jesus had been seen? Again, 500 at one time. That's pretty convincing. They said Jesus' follower had stolen his body away. And, and so they come up with this, this, this theory, this, this idea that uh, Jesus was stolen away. Another way they tried to discount the story of the resurrected Christ. They uh, believed that there was a, a supposed swoon theory. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but they believed in a, a swoon theory. What does that mean? That means that when Jesus died on the cross and he suffered so much pain that he actually passed out through the pain. And then after he passed out, he was taken down from the tomb. He looked like he was dead, but he wasn't. He just swooned. And they put him in the tomb. And in the cool tomb, after a few hours, he revived himself, got up, and walked out. That's the idea. Let me think about that a minute. Think about the Roman soldiers. They were experts, folks, at killing. They were killing machines. They were expert at the crucifixion. And they knew when a man was dead. Matter of fact, they had a way of, of checking. We saw in the scriptures how that they came by later and they wanted to make sure that Jesus and the male factors were dead. And if they were still alive, the one on either side of Christ, they would break the legs of those men so that they could not raise up again upon the crosses they were on and take breath. So they actually suffocated. They would break the legs of those being crucified at that time. They came to Jesus and they had found out that he was already dead. They took a spear and drove it into his side, and out come blood and water. And they were, they were sufficed that he had died. These were Roman soldiers. They killed people every day on the Appian Way. This was the way that they, they brought forth penalty for sin against the Roman government. There could be no swoon theory. The Romans knew him to be dead. And then there was a, a way they were saying that Christ did not raise from the grave. They said that he, he self-imposed hallucinates, uh, that he took natural sedatives so that he could pass out on the cross. That meant before he went to the cross, he put them in his mouth, he swallowed them, got on the cross, and then somehow he sedated himself on the cross, again, passing out and then put into an empty tomb to rise again and walk out. Matthew chapter 27, verse 33, sees that Jesus was on the cross and they offered him a sponge on the end of a spear tip full of gall to deaden 
is wine and gall. They, they would do this at crucifixion. There was some mercy in some of them, I suppose, and they'd lift this up to their lips and they would drink upon it to take away some of the pain, to deaden some of the pain. But Jesus refused the sponge. He refused the gall. He refused the wine. He took all our sin upon him, the full weight upon himself to be our substitute for sin. What a savior we have. All these Theories, all these things, they went to great lengths to try to say that Christ had not risen from the dead. And then we see that they tried to explain away the resurrection. Then they tried to sweep away the evidence of the resurrection by several measures. They tried to sweep it away by deceitful lies and misinformation. They floated out all kinds of stuff in that day, false rumors among the crowds. They even, the Bible tells us, for time's sake, we can't go there, but you can read it in the Gospels, that they tried to pay off or bribe the soldiers that were standing guard at the sealed tomb, that if they saw anything, they were not to tell a soul. Now you think about this. These men, that was their job. And I believe if they had done something to assist the saints or even let them near the tomb, they would have lost their jobs most likely their lives. They tried to politicize it away. Again, they told the soldiers not to mention anything of the resurrection or anything that they knew. You see, the Jewish hierarchy, they were pressuring the Roman government to do for them what they could not do themselves, put down Christ. They were like the Hebrew mafia, if you would. And their wily words and their threats did not work. They could not stop or discount the eyewitnesses of a, of a resurrected Lord. In Matthew 28, in verse 6, the Bible says, Come see the place where the Lord lay. In Mark chapter 16, verse 6. In Luke 24, 12, Peter saw the linen wrappings alone by themselves and immediately knew that the Lord had risen. Read it for yourself. The wrappings appeared to be like someone had just stepped out, like a cocoon. They had stepped out of those wrapped garments. And that was so odd for them to see. But the thing that really got to them was when they saw the napkin folded in its own place. Its own place. That napkin they would put upon the face of a person that was dead and entombed. Many believe it could have been the shroud. I, I, I don't know about that. But the napkin was separate from the wrappings. And when those men saw, according to the Gospels, that folded napkin, they knew. They knew that Jesus had risen from the grave. You see, I believe Jewish history tradition that I've read of historically that back in that day when they had meals, people would have the, the meal and they'd have their napkin. And if they got called away from their, their seating, they, they wouldn't sit at a table like we do today. They would kind of lounge on a pillow and lay on their side and eat with their hands. And if they got called away for any reason or had to leave that dining area for any reason, they would take their napkin and throw it down before them and walk away and take care of what they had to take care of. And they'd come back. That napkin thrown down said, it said this. It said, uh, it meant that they, they were done with their meal. I'm sorry. They threw that down. It meant that they were done with their meal. Those attendants would see that they were done with their meal. But if someone folded a napkin, set it aside, and left, when they came back and looked, they would know they've left for now, but they're coming back again. 
And Jesus folded that napkin out. And those Jewish believers, they knew that Jesus was saying with that folded napkin all left to itself that, hey, I'm gone for now, but I'm coming back. Listen, saints, our Lord and Jesus, Savior, he rose again. Amen. And then he left by the ascension. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's told them, and he's told us, he's coming back again. I believe it with all my heart. Jesus was saying with that napkin, I'm done for now, but I will be back. No matter what the enemies did or said about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's so much authority of authenticity and evidence within the Scriptures. And then let me hasten on. Think of this interesting point. The previous lives of those that believed on Jesus, the risen Lord. You remember how afraid they were? Well, now they're completely different after the resurrection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul writes, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Consider This is very interesting to me. A complete change took place in the men that followed Christ before his resurrection and after his resurrection. They were afraid. They ran in fear. Consider how the Lord's disciples ran in fear. Think about him at the cross when he was dying for our sins on the cross. There wasn't a crowd of disciples there. There wasn't a throng of believers there holding up signs against the Roman government saying you've got to release them, let them down. No, they they weren't there. There was just a handful. There was the mother of Jesus at his cross. Mary Magdalene was at his cross. The mother of James, the scripture says, was at the cross. And John the Beloved, he was at the cross. He was the one that Jesus looked down upon and said, hey, take care of my mother in my absence. Then the Bible says in Matthew 26, 58, in Mark's gospel, chapter 14, verse 54, That Peter stood afar off. Many people that believe that Peter was the Pope. Here, if that be true, my goodness, what would a holy man like that do? Standing afar off from the cross. Was he ashamed of Christ? No, my friend. Peter was a follower of Jesus Christ, just like Paul was, just like James was. Amen. Just a man. I'm a preacher. I'm no one special, but I'm saved by grace. And I'll tell you what, my natural tendency would be to run and flee like they did, to be afraid of the Roman government, to be afraid that I might be arrested, to be afraid that I might be beat up, be afraid that they might even take my death or hurt my family. I can understand why they were afraid. But then think of after the resurrection. They weren't afraid anymore. They boldly went to the streets and started preaching Jesus Christ. Peter wasn't following afar off then. He came back to the Lord. And he boldly preached the gospel. He was the natural leader of the church for a time. And then the Bible says Paul and company. The apostle Paul, after he got saved, he became the leader of the church after that. And so I say to you, friends, all these men, they denied their Lord at the cross. Even Peter stood afar off according to the scriptures. What took place in them? What changed them? A resurrected Lord. You see, they didn't just hear it now by theory. They knew it because they saw it themselves. Peter and Paul, you know, these men were willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. They weren't willing to be there at his crucifixion for fear of the Jews and for fear of the Roman government. But now they're willing to die for a resurrected Lord. Peter and Paul both were martyred in 66 
A.D. by Nero. Paul was beheaded. History tells us that Peter was crucified upside down, not because, he, not because they made him, he chose to. He didn't want to, he didn't want to die as a savior. Up, he, wanted, he was so humble that he said, you know, crucify me upside down. What, what an historical, astounding story. Andrew, crucified in Asia Minor. Thomas, pierced through with spears in Syria. Philip, arrested and cruelly put to death in North Africa. Matthew, stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew died a martyr in southern Arabia. James, the least, was stoned and then clubbed to death in Syria. They, they tried to kill him by stoning. They couldn't get the job done, so they clubbed him to death. Why? Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Simon was killed because he wouldn't recant Christ in Persia. Matthias, the replacement uh, apostle of Judas, he was burned to death in Syria. John the Revelator. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Read the book of Revelation chapter 1. Where he wrote the book of Revelation, John was boiled in oil, and he didn't die. He survived. And he was the only apostle that died of natural ways in old age. Now think again with me. What could cause such a thing? What could cause these men that would run as Peter did, afar off from Christ at the gospel. The others were not with them. Only Mary, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, only John the beloved disciple. What would make them now be so bold? They saw a resurrected Savior. Let me say something personally. I give testimony today that I believe in a literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe and I'm blessed because I heard the gospel message one day and the evidence of Jesus being my Lord and Savior. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit convicted me and the Holy Scriptures pricked my heart. And I believed. I repented of my sins. I called upon Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Folks, I remember the day. I can take you to the place. Amen. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I'm a different man than I used to be. I was a young man, but I was so involved with sin. My heart was full of sin. My mind was full of sin. I had my own ways and wants, but I'm telling you what, I met Jesus Christ, 31749 Roslyn Garden City, Michigan, upstairs bedroom, when I was 17 years old, and then my life began to change. Not all at once. But it began to change because now I was a true believer in Jesus Christ. I was raised religious. I knew about catechism. I knew about church. But I was not a true believer in Jesus Christ. It was all dogma. It, it was all theory. Up until I called on Jesus to save my soul, it was all tradition. But I asked Jesus to save me and I was a different man. And I stayed different all these years. When I first got saved, people said, oh, he's going through a, a space. He's just, he's a religious fanatic right now. Some would say, oh, he's only doing this because he, he dated and then married Pam. Family would say that. But folks, I've been, I've been saved now over 45 years, and I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know because I believed in my heart, and he changed my heart. He changed my life. John 20, 29 says, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou have seen me, thou, uh, uh, thou hast believed. Be uh, blessed are they that have not, as seen not and yet believe. Folks, I believe. 
I've read about the changed lives of others in the Bible. I've seen changed lives of others in my lifetime. I've seen people that, I mean, they were so far in wickedness, they were living their own way, and they called on Christ, and their lives completely changed. Many of them are serving the Lord very faithful today. But most importantly, I've seen a change in me after believing on Jesus Christ. Romans 10 and verse 13 says this, If any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, Lastly, and I'll be done, the protracted outcome and continuation of the church throughout the ages. Matthew 16, 18 says, and upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, folks, I'll tell you this. The church has stood the test. Even now we're sequestered because of the government. Not that they're trying to stop church. I, I, many, some people think that. I, I don't think that. I, I believe they're really genuinely concerned about the community and society. And they thought this was the right thing. I'll tell you this, although we're sequestered, although we're home today and not in our churches as we normally would be worshiping our God, the church still stands. The church still exists. In spite of all the attack, in spite of all the onslaughts against the believers of Jesus Christ, after the resurrection of Christ, the church should have been disbanded. The church should have went to non-existence. You would think with more persecution and more pressure, like the early disciples at the cross, everybody would have scattered and not come back. But that's not the case. The church has grown, exploded, and gone on all this time. Even today, I'm thinking of this coronavirus and how it has stopped our world from many things. From work, from going out, from being with our loved ones, from people being in church worshiping God on Easter Sunday. But the church still exists. It didn't get stamped out. It didn't get stopped. It didn't get sequestered. We're alive, amen? And wherever you're at, you're still speaking for Jesus Christ if you're a true disciple. The church has gone to the four corners of the world. The church is alive. It's not silenced. It hasn't ceased from being. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well today in spite of the enemy and enemies, in spite of the attacks, in spite of the sequestering, in spite of the mocking, in spite of the threatening. And here's my answer. You ask me how I know he lives, I'll tell you. He lives within my heart. We sang a song to start the service with, He Lives. And I want to say this to my friends as I'm, 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 as I'm closing down. To people that are looking on today, perhaps on the online service, I have an idea for all of us. In just a little bit, we're going to sing, He Lives. I'll give you the verses. You can follow along with me. We're going to sing. But right now, if you wouldn't mind, I want you to go to your windows and open them up. I want you to go to your front door and, and, and open it up. Put that little thing down there at the bottom to keep it open. Go down your front porch. Go on your back porch. Listen. And with our collective voices, I want you to sing this song. I'll give you a little time here. He Lives. You know what gave me this idea? I was watching news reports, and early on when Italy was going through such horrible sickness with the coronavirus, they showed, they showed uh, video of people going to their front doors, opening the door, going on their porches. They live in big high-rises in, in many of the European countries where they have a lot of people and small housing. And they're all, on a given night, singing songs in Italian, singing songs in their native tongue, 
They weren't Christian songs. They were popular songs. They were traditional songs of, of Italy. And they'd be singing them. How beautiful it was. I've I seen a few myself on the internet. And I'm thinking today, maybe we should all open up our doors and our windows. Sing it from the mountaintops. Sing it from the, the rooftops, if you would, I'm thinking. This song. And not just, you know, traditional song, but how about this Christian song, amen? On Easter morning... We've been closed down by an edict of authorities. And again, I don't think they're trying to hurt us. They're, they're trying to help us. I believe many. Now, there may be some that have an agenda. But I'm thinking the most part, they're trying to keep us safe. Amen. Maybe the devil has thought he's won the day, but he hasn't. He's never been able to stop Jesus' followers. He's never been able to stop the church. Amen. The church existed before under great persecution in the first, second through fourth century and then on. But the church exists today. I want us to raise our collective voices. Amen. One more thing I ask of you, if you do this, you say, oh, that's kind of crazy. I know some of you won't do it, but some of you will. And I want you to do this. I want you to maybe a family member, record it. Get out your cameras. Everybody's got a camera. Record your family singing. He lives. Record it. And then here's what I want you to do. Send it in to Pastor Williams. And maybe a few of those next week we'll put in as special music. Your family singing. He lives. We'll do three or four of those. Uh, together with what other people are going to sing next week's service. But this is kind of a testimony of our Lord today. And here goes the song. I'll lead you in it. Everybody ready? You got your door open? You got your windows open? You're going to sing it on your front porch? I don't know. Maybe you're watching me on your, on your phone. Maybe you're watching me on your tab. I don't know. But listen. Here we go. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. Everybody, he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen. Church, you did a great job. You're not here, but I'm just imagining you all sang. You recorded it, some of you. Amen. Here's what you could do today. Enjoy your Lord's Day, especially Resurrection Sunday. I don't know if you're having a meal with your immediate family or by yourself. Do this. Be thankful. Praise the Lord. Amen. Throughout the day. And uh, come back tonight at 6 o'clock. Pastor Williams will be delivering a great message to our church body and all those that come online. And we'll have more special music put in there. And it'll be a great time. But enjoy your Lord's Day. Let me say before we close, maybe there's someone that has heard this message. And for years you've been putting off believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, I want to say one more time. It is not being a Baptist. It's not being a Lutheran. It's not being a Methodist. It's not being Episcopalian. Whatever you are, it's not being a religious denominational tag. It's believing on Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. There's got to be a place, there's got to be a time where you ask God to forgive you of your sins. For the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Call on Him. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans 10, 13. Call on him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and life and be your savior. Then if you do that, share it with people. Tell them you, you became a, a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm not telling anybody to get baptized. I'm not telling them to go through confirmation. I'm not telling them to become a, a, a certain denomination. Listen, Parkview Baptist Church is not the only church in the world. We're a body of born-again, baptized believers. I love my church body. I miss them. But I'm not going to heaven because of a Baptist church. I'm going to heaven because there was a day that I realized I was a sinner and I asked God to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come to my heart and change my life. And he did that. And I became a different man. And I'm so glad. You know, this is a fearful time. It's a difficult day. It could get worse. We're so blessed in America. We are. There are people in other countries, they don't have any food for their family. There are people that are just ravaged by this, this virus. People are afraid. People are scared. People are dying. Not as many as they said, all that business, I don't want to get into that. But nonetheless, people have died and are dying. If you died, would you go to heaven? If you died, would you, would you go to be with the Lord? Would you end up in eternity without Jesus Christ? They're not going to check your, your denominational tag when you get to heaven. There's no angel up in heaven checking everybody's denomination, checking all your checkbox that you've done in your religious system. No, no, no. You're going to be asked, are you a believer of Jesus Christ and him alone? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only Savior, not one of many. The only Savior. Please, friends, if you're not saved, trust Christ today. Maybe during this Corona-19 virus, this unprecedented time, is the time God's trying to reach out to your heart that you believe on Him. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a good resurrection Easter day. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'm going to say just lift up your voice and praise God today. Okay, let me pray. Father, thank you for this message, this opportunity. And Lord, I, I messed up in a few areas. Would you go behind me and fix that? I pray that you'd take away the, the bumbling and the fumbling. And Lord, I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm just human. And uh, Lord, I tried to preach as I should and not be too long. I pray, dear Holy Spirit, take this message and apply it to each heart, especially to those that need to be saved. Help them to believe on Jesus today. And then to the saints, I pray you'd encourage them we miss them. I pray that, Lord, you love on them today. Be with those that have lost loved ones during this time of, of uh, virus. Comfort them. Be with families that cannot go to their loved ones in nursing homes and hospitals right now. Be with the saints that are sequestered from those they love most in the world. And, Lord, we want to praise you for Easter. We want to praise you for Jesus. We want to praise you for salvation full and free. Now, Lord, we praise, praise you and we glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day. God bless you.